For CertSecurity.com, I'm Rob Westervelt. You're listening to Security Wire Weekly for June 13, 2007. In this edition, security researcher Eric Schultz of Shavlik Technologies helps prioritize Microsoft's Patch Tuesday bulletins. Then Jack Danahy joins us. He's uh, Chief Technology Officer of Ounce Labs, and he talks about Patch Tuesday and, and the software development security. He tells us whether software developers are becoming more security savvy. Also, the news, researchers find flaws in the new Apple Safari browser for Windows, and Yahoo issues an update to repair serious flaws in Messenger. Apple launched a beta version of its Safari browser for Windows, but within hours, security researchers were picking it apart for security holes. Among some of the advisories, uh, one from Symantec, specifically said that Safari does not properly sanitize input passed through the iframe elements, and that allows a remote attacker to pass arbitrary command line arguments to affected systems through the use of URL protocol handlers available on the Windows platform. As a precaution, Symantec recommended users avoid links provided by unknown or untrusted sources and be wary of trusted websites and reject communications. The Safari browser for Windows is currently in beta. In other news, the latest version of Yahoo Messenger fixes serious flaws attackers could exploit to run malicious code on targeted machines. The update comes as security experts track increased instances of exploit code in the wild. The Sans Internet Storm Center warned of additional Yahoo exploits on its website Sunday. The flaws affect version 8.1.0.249. Yahoo is urging users to upgrade to the latest version. Next, Eric Schultz of Shavlik Technologies joins me to talk about Microsoft's Patch Tuesday bulletin. So, Eric, what was the most important bulletin released yesterday? There are two, I believe, that we need to look at first. Mm -hmm. If a company is running systems with Windows XP... The first one to look at is 07031. And that's the Explorer? This is the Windows S channel vulnerability. Mm -hmm. This is exploited if a user visits a malicious website using SSL. So if you go to a website with HTTPS as the URL, um, part of that the SSL security negotiation can be hijacked from that evil website, so that when you visit that supposedly secure website, you're really being hacked. And then the, the evil attacker can run code on your system. Why did you choose that one out of, out of all the others that were released yesterday? Because this is one you, you normally think of an HTTPS URL as something that's going to be safe, mm -hmm. because it's got an SSL certificate, you can validate who the other person is. Uh, in this case, it's a vulnerability in a security mechanism. Um, so where I'm, I'm usually a little more cautious on going to a normal HTTP website, if I see an HTTPS, I'm a little more likely to say, okay, this is going to be valid. Um, so I'm a little more cautious um, 
well, I'm a little more cautious of normal websites, not cautious of all of security websites, and now I need to be cautious of both. So if you're running Windows XP, your system could be hijacked. If you're running Windows 2000 or Windows 2003, then it might simply crash your system or crash your browser. Um, so that one to me is, is a key one to install. The next one for me is, is um, 07032, mm-hmm. which is a Vista vulnerability. This is the first vulnerability that we've seen released solely for Vista. Um, Microsoft rates this one moderate. I tend to think that it's critical. What, it, it, what exactly is it? In this instance, it looks like Microsoft is saying that there's a good chance that sensitive information might be stored on your Vista computer that can be accessed by low-level user accounts. Specifically, the administrative username and password for the Vista system might be accessible by people who aren't administrators on that computer. Mm -hmm. It looks like if you do an upgrade from Windows XP to Windows Vista on that computer, during the upgrade process, Microsoft is saving the admin's username and password into a file. And after you've upgraded to Vista, they either forgot to delete that file and or forgot to secure that file so that just a, a regular user on that system can go in and access that file and obtain the admin's username and password. So that's critical in my mind because that administrative username and password is probably the same across all the other Vista machines and perhaps the same across all the other machines in your enterprise. Uh, how about uh, 33 through 35? We started with the Internet Explorer patch, number mm-hmm. 33, uh, fixes six security flaws. Uh, one of those was publicly known before the patch came out. Okay. Uh, these six vulnerabilities are all client-side vulnerabilities, meaning if I visit an evil website, then the evil website can run code on my system. But it requires user interaction for something to happen. So it requires the user to go first and, and visit that evil website or read that evil email before something's going to happen to me. Um, so we see this type of, of Internet Explorer bulletin every other month. So I kind of take these as matter of fact now that they're just going to they're going to happen. Right. Um, similarly, but different is 34, the Outlook Express patch. If you're using Outlook Express, or even if you're not using Outlook Express but have it installed, and you visit an evil website or you receive an an evil email, then the hacker can run code on your machine. This one is is unique in that Vista systems are at greatest risk. A Vista system um, can be hacked and can run um, remotely um, execute code, whereas systems XP and, and earlier um, aren't, as, aren't as at as much risk uh, because they're not going to be executing code. This was pretty much a, a, a low-key cycle, would you say? I mean, there wasn't any, any real surprises here. Yes and no. Low-key in that these were all client-side vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. uh, which I consider lower-key compared to server-side vulnerabilities where the, a server-side vulnerability means I can attack that system without needing any user interaction from that system owner. Those are the types of things that can lead to worms, and those are things that can be really dangerous on the Internet. Um, in this case, they're all client-side. What 
is more interesting about this month's release is that three of the six bulletins deal with Windows Vista. Um, and in each case, these are what I consider critical vulnerabilities in Windows Vista. Uh, where Windows Vista was designed with security in mind, this just shows us that there are still opportunities for improvement. There are still times when the developers will make errors and make mistakes that lead to these vulnerabilities that need to be patched. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Vista is going to be a major target moving forward. Yes, for and since, the, since Vista's release in what was it, the March time frame, mm -hmm. um, we've seen six security bulletins for Vista. So uh, the Vista patch market won't be going away anytime soon. Do you see that changing as uh, Apple picks up some steam here? Um, or is Apple still not profitable enough for, for attackers? Well, I think as we saw the release, uh, the beta release of the Apple Safari browser on Windows, mm -hmm. and within hours of release, there were multiple vulnerabilities that were identified. An exploit code has been released. And Apple had to expect that, right? I mean... Well, I, I, when you release code, you hope that uh, you can go at least six months without something being identified. But in this case, it was less than six hours. Um, if we look back at the track record of Apple, we look at iTunes, we look at um, their QuickTime player, mm -hmm. there have been numerous vulnerabilities in those applications as well. So um, I think people are starting to clue into using Apple as another attack vector on a Windows machine. Mm -hmm. um, why Apple couldn't have gone back and run a fuzzer on their Safari browser before they released it in beta, I don't know. Um, if the attacker could find it in six hours or less, why couldn't Apple have done some similar testing to identify and correct these bugs first? Um, I think it's kind of a wake-up call for Apple. Uh, maybe it'll stimulate them to spend a little more time on their Windows code and, and beef that up. How long does it even take to use a, a fuzzer? Oh, it can be a matter of hours. Okay. Um, it's just as long as it's as long as it's configured correctly to go in and, and run it and look for this, it'll it'll um, start identifying things right away. So it's and it's it's not as if you need to be a developer now to go run some of these tools. Next, Jack Danahy, Chief Technology Officer of Ounce Labs, talks about Patch Tuesday and software development security. What, what's your take on, on how Microsoft has uh, revamped its bulletins? And, and, then, and then let's go into the broader uh, issue of uh, application security in general. Sure. Well, I, I think one of the reasons I was uh, talking with Jake, and Jake's here with me, Jake Messier here is here with me as well. Sure. Um, was that I think what ends up happening is I, I've heard, uh, you know, some amount of dissatisfaction, you know, from the software-consuming public that these patches continue to come out, you know, on Patch Tuesday. Mm -hmm. and, and I think what it does is it highlights the fact that Microsoft, particularly the work that, you know, Mike Howard and Steve Lipner and, and those folks have done um, in improving the SDL, that they're actually finding problems and they're being pretty proactive about pushing these things out uh, on a way that is uh, amenable to sort of change management practices in general, right? So it allows organizations to, to do a better job of planning for, you know, the impact of a security problem when it's found, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what, what for me has been, you know, what I hope is going to happen as a result of this going forward is that people start realizing, look at all the work that Microsoft does to figure out where these vulnerabilities exist. Look at the way that they package up these things and push them out. And then they do sort of a map, you know, against 
Right, Microsoft is a critical part of my infrastructure, and so I want to make sure that I maintain a good awareness of security issues that exist within it. But wow, maybe I should take a look at my own applications, right? Because typically, you know, these days, one would expect this ongoing sort of healthy change management process to be uh, a budgeted activity, right, in the IT world, right? right. It's become right. fairly regular. But typically for the organization, when it has uh, a problem with its own internal application, it ends up being uh, almost completely unexpected and unbudgeted. So the things like cost of cleanup, cost of figuring out what's wrong in, in their own software, cost of notifying clients if that's what it is, or notifying partners, all of that is sort of unbudgeted. And, and, and it's my hope that the sort of good housekeeping that, that, that's going on in terms of, you know, regularized vulnerability detection and patch management by the Microsoft team is helping people realize that this may be a good thing for them to adopt internally as well. Well, if that's the case, then, you know, let, let's take a look at, uh, I, was, I just had a previous interview with uh, Eric Schultz of Shavlik Technologies. Sure, sure. And um, one thing that we spoke briefly about was the, the new Apple Safari browser for Windows. Right. Within within six hours of Apple launching this browser or the beta version of the browser, uh, researchers trounced on it and found plenty of vulnerabilities within it. It's, it's natural, right? If you look at any new development these days, our research shows any new development is based between you know forty and more percent on pre-existing software, mm -hmm. right? And so even, you know, in today's world where uh, developers and development groups as a whole are getting much more savvy about applying better security best practices in terms of their own development, in many cases they're relying on components or, or even just sections of code were, which were written long before those best practices were really put into place. And so I think it's pretty natural that something as rich and complex as a browser is likely to have some of that legacy um, of vulnerability within it. it. But is it true, in your opinion, that that just using a, a, a fuzzing tool would have would have helped avoid some of these uh, early vulnerabilities? Uh, well, I mean, it, fuzzing is you know one tool, one technique. You know, we the reason why you know we built the technology we did inside this company was because I think the right way to look for it is look inside the source code. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I think that, you know, fuzzing, I think, is an important technology. It allows you to understand the way that applications can misbehave sort of from the perspective of someone who may, you know, try to deal with it in a way that it's not expecting. For me, what the most practical way to understand what's likely to go wrong um, and, and to do so even before the thing is completely built is to be looking at the source code. So if, if I can reframe your question slightly and say, you know, do you think that if they had a robust, sort of vulnerability detection methodology in-house, you know, whether using a tool such as ours, using a process like the SDL inside of Microsoft, would a lot of these things, you know, be eliminated, you know, more commonly? Yeah, I think they absolutely would. I think, I think the proof is in the number of things that organizations tend to find the first time they tend to run these types of tools. Mm -hmm. So, so it, just, just so that I understand, and if the, the, your, the, from your perspective, Software developers should be thinking about security, but they they probably don't have a whole lot of time on their hands to be running uh, all these different security tools. And so we need to put these software security in the hands of other people other than just software developers? Oh, I, I mean, I think that's for certain, right? I mean, if you just simply look at the scope associated with a developer's responsibility, mm -hmm. 
you know, a, they are typically building a piece of a piece of software, right? They are typically very much driven by schedule and performance and functionality. Right. And most developers, except for those who have either focused on it or who are just arriving inside the market um, or who are programming in very restrictive frameworks, don't really have the experience or the exposure to understand all the nuances of secure programming. So a good example is, you know, a, an individual developer can write a module which, which in its own scope is perfectly secure, but it, it doesn't necessarily understand the way that other application bits may use it. And so it may itself, because of this general thought of composability, right, the interaction between otherwise secure components can introduce within the application as a whole um, insecurities, right, and as the thing starts to work together. It, it, it sort of mimics um, on a smaller scale what can happen in service-oriented architectures where, you know, back-end service provision, and you don't know what the head's going to look like that's going to call into it, you know, may be exercised in unusual ways because you can't be certain of how someone else is going to tap into what you thought was a fairly, you know, secure piece of code because you thought that you could you know, understand pretty comprehensively the way in which it can or would be used. And so when we think about this, we, you know, when I think about this, I think about it as a, fa as a bunch of different phases. There are a number of fairly granular problems that developers are getting better at eliminating, right? Memory management, string manipulation, some of the frameworks obfuscate that type of problem away from them. So that's good, right? So between, you know, the frameworks, the developers becoming more sophisticated, uh, and just these best, best practices becoming better known, you know, it, it granularly, uh, and, and tools, and tools such as ours and others, mm -hmm. um, help them to eliminate it in, within their module. But then these different pieces start coming together in, in much the same way um, as 10 or 15 years ago, the nightly build and smoke test, you know, became, you know, appropriate best practices for quality purposes. I think there is a similar need for this uh, organized and aggregated approach to measuring the security of this thing when it starts getting bolted together. So what specific areas are, are being commoditized at this point? Or are there some specific areas? In with, terms of being with, able to understand security problems, that type of commoditization? Um, so I'm thinking source code security, vulnerability testing tools. Sure. I mean, it, commoditization is tough, right, because this is such a new market. And, and commoditization sort of describes uh, a market where there's a box that everybody can point at, and that box always contains the same bucket of stuff. Yeah. And so it's hard to talk about the, the actual individual discrete bits of functionality as being commoditized. If, if we want to talk about, you know, what is being more and more commonly, you know, distributed, uh, you know, we, we came out, you know, I guess it's almost a year ago now, you know, with free developer plugins because we think that the developer should just be using this stuff, mm -hmm. right? So that when an organization decides that they want to understand their vulnerabilities and then they want to enable the education and interaction of all the developers with that data, you know, our thinking was get it in the hands of developers early because the, the value for the organization comes from understanding, you know, during development and pre-deployment that what they have done to understand and, and eliminate the vulnerabilities as much as it is to have, you know, uh, a, uh, effectively a spell checker making sure that there aren't these individual vulnerabilities inside the developer's own little microcosm of that application's code base. And it, it, how has uh, Ounce Labs changed over in, in recent years? I, I know uh, you're, you've done a lot of um, integrating so that, so, so that some of your competitors' information 
works within your um, your products, correct? Yeah, I mean, it, it, when you speak of, a, of competitors, I, would, I, I tend to think of them as complementary providers in a very similar space, right? Okay. So if I look at good penetration testing tools, mm-hmm. so our customers typically use those to test the application, you know, just prior to deployment, after the application itself is built, but they're also interested in checking out infrastructure components that it may ride on. So a penetration test can give you a good way of looking at this application as it's about to be deployed. When it's running, tell me about the configuration that goes on underneath it. Tell me about the server that it's running on top of. Tell me about the operating system components that it's near. You know, tell me about the way that it interacts with other, perhaps web-facing components that are talking to it. You know, from a from a from a different perspective of functionality. So, a penetration testing tool run by one of our clients. So they've been running us all through the cycle. They're running us at certification prior to deployment. All these results are being fed up to some management level individual. That individual also cares about the penetration testing results. So for us, it was very, very natural to integrate those result sets together Mm -hmm. um, so that from a single perspective, you can see all the good work that's gone on, all the vulnerabilities that have been eliminated, and then be able to weld those results based together to give a really comprehensive view um, to, to the, either the management person, um, the, the, the program lead type of person, or an auditing kind of person who is responsible for understanding both that I'm about to be implemented application level security and the here I am about to be deployed all, on the infrastructure, that level of security as well, because they're both important. So, you know, that integration, I think, was a, a very natural thing. So I, I don't, and I don't view those tools as, as being competitive in the truest sense, because while you know, in this early stage of the market, there may be uh, a lack of, sometimes a, a lack of discernment between, you know, why I need to do either or both. I, I think as the market becomes more sophisticated, and we've seen it amongst, you know, a pile of customers who are pretty smart, they recognize that both pieces of functionality can be can be used together to come to the most comprehensive view of how they're managing their risk. Yeah. I wanted to also ask you uh, about the the market as a whole. Um, what's your take on IBM's acquisition of Watchfire? I, I think it's great, right? I mean, I think that uh, particularly the way that IBM acquired it, right? So it was acquired by the Rational Business Unit uh, within IBM. Mm-hmm. So that 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 says that you know one of the most successful software companies around, who also has a remarkably successful services practice and an established base of products for the development and testing community in the rational suite has decided that you know this capacity to test for security is as you know is is an important component of that framework and what it does is it takes that security testing and it moves it beyond what has typically been just the operational community right if you look at security as a whole a lot of really you know great thinking in security over the last 15 years has come out of the operational community, which is reflected in how active a lot of those testing technologies are. Right? Mm-hmm. Penetration testing looks like, in many cases, a really smart person trying to break in through some sort of interface, right? And just trying a bunch of different um, avenues through which you can access that 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 exploitable vulnerability. So, if I now take that away from the operational community and extend its purpose back into more traditional testing of applications earlier in the cycle, I think it's a great step forward. I think that, you know, IBM recognizing the importance of that style of testing earlier in the life cycle will drive the market as a whole to recognizing that this is something you should be doing prior to it ending up on your network or prior to it about to end up on your network just because of the cost savings involved. 
you know, and, and, and it's sort of to be expected, right? IBM did some seminal research 20 years ago yeah. on how you save so much money by fixing problems earlier. I think that this is just a recognition that security is becoming a much larger set of the problems that organizations actually care about. Aren't a lot of rational users, though, using uh, Outslabs? Well, yeah, we're, I mean, we are partnered with IBM, uh, actually, in the lot, launch of RAT7. I, I, I can sort of speak to the converse of what you ask. Okay, I see. Is that I know that a lot of our customers um, are also rational customers, you know, that they, they value the productivity and savings associated with using that style of platform in their development. They're obviously taking advantage of the testing capability that exists uh, through it. Uh, they're taking advantage of the defect tracking stuff. You know, we do an automatic integration um, with the ClearQuest stuff, right? So. We, our customers are telling us that, listen, we, we love using your tool to find the vulnerabilities. Can you help take that information now and push it off to either my, you know, my QA or my development community through the rational suite of tools? So I can't say that, you know, uh, that a preponderance of the rational community cares a lot about source code security and the way in which, you know, we construe it and all the vulnerabilities that we find inside of source code right now. But we do know that IBM values it. We do know that this is the direction the market's moving. And we do know that the leading adopters who take advantage of our technology are driving us you know, to the rational suite as well. Yeah. Um, do you see further consolidation uh, in your niche? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think generally, you know, the more you can get security to be a characteristic of the way the business operates, the better. And so I think the consolidation is a natural artifact of that. If I look at you know, embedding security more in the way that designers think about building security into programs, when I think about developers getting, you know, sort of more facile at automatically making their code more secure as they build it through just, you know, acknowledgement of some of these best practices. And as I look at people like IT auditors actually caring about the way you're protecting private data or making sure that the program behaves correctly, I think that this consolidation is a, is a natural um, event where when people start asking IBM as an example, in the, in the case we're describing today, listen, I, I care about security. How do you help me be secure? Well, right now IBM says, well, there's a series of things we recommend you do. We've got a great global services practices. By the way, we just picked up Watchfire, so here's some good, you know, some good penetration testing acumen that lands. And I think it's natural that as that gets pushed further down the cycle, there'll be further consolidation, you know, back into other, you know, uh, either our space, uh, you know, in the source code scanning domain. Um, or, or into other areas which are loosely related. And I think what you'll see as well is that with IBM picking up Watchfire, there are other good penetration testing technology tools out there that will likely you know, be similarly consolidated. Well, that ends this edition of Security Wire Weekly. You can check out our previous podcasts at our podcast landing page at searchsecurity.com slash podcast. And as always, you can get the latest news and information at our news page at searchsecurity.com slash news. For now, I'm Rob Westervelt. Have a great day.